when you are a part of a group that has been marginalized or you have only a small representation in a broader space, a lot of times you are not free to express yourself in the way in which you would around people that identify the same way you do. Meet Sydney Freeman, an associate professor in the Department of Leadership and Counseling at the University of Idaho. An expert in higher education, Sydney has spent much of his career studying leadership in the university setting. He has also investigated the issues facing black students, faculty, and staff on college campuses. He's focused on how universities can support these individuals and other minorities, as well as the obstacles black faculty face while growing their careers. Welcome everyone to The Vandal Theory. everyone, my name is Lee Cooper and I'm a science writer here at U of I and your host for The Vandal Theory, a podcast about science and research at the University of Idaho. Throughout the third season of the podcast, which we're recording and producing remotely, we're going to talk to U of I researchers about questions they want to answer, problems they want to solve, and what gets them excited about their research. Sydney and I talked about how universities can support black students, faculty, and staff. Hi, Dr. Freeman. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Now, interestingly, I just called you Dr. Freeman. That's usually I open with first names, but you uh, asked me to call you Dr. Freeman. Why is that uh, so important to you? So uh, there's a recent article that I've written called, uh, Why Do I Have to Call You Doctor? And it chronicles the experience experience of two African-American male faculty members and them navigating predominantly white institutions. Predominantly white institutions are institutions that were founded by white people for white students and now are inclusive of of everyone. However, they were built to serve white students. So for instance, the University of Idaho would be considered a predominantly white institution. And so because it was not necessarily founded to serve and to support people of color, in particular Black people, it does not necessarily take into account the cultural differences that other people of color bring to to the institution. And so one of the things that's really important, particularly because I am uh, African-American, and when I say African-American, that's that's different than being black uh, in the sense that black is the overall race, but my ethnicity, because I am a American descendant of slaves uh, as an African-American, it's important to, uh, that people recognize that I am not just fly by night that I just got here. I went through the process, earned my PhD, and it's something that should be honored and respected. I'm guessing that periodically that does make for some possibly uncomfortable, interesting conversations. For example, we just had one because I was kind of going back and forth on, well, AP style, the, the style of writing that journalists use doesn't use doctor for uh, for PhDs, just medical and, and veterinary. Uh, and yet, you know, I want to make you comfortable. You should use the name that you ask. Uh, and, and I came to you uh, very uh, nervous about all of this. I'm sure that's come up before. Yeah, so it, it comes up. I, I, I often, so I, 
I actually have my own uh, broadcast that I put on once a month and I'm very, I try to be very thoughtful about the women that I bring that I am honoring the titles of women in that space, uh, particularly because the, the podcast is of a religious nature. I ensure that, that women, whether they're a PhD or if they are a actual minister and using their title as pastor or bishop, it's important because it's not always assumed. I mean, I do understand where you're coming from on that. I know simply adding PhD to my email has unfortunately definitely made a difference as to the types of responses that I get back. Yes. Yeah, so, and we, we understand that in an academic environment. So if we're, if we're walking on, uh, if we're walking downtown here in Moscow, I'm Sydney, right? Uh, however, in the academic environment, and I recognize my uniqueness in this, in this institution, it's important that people understand that I'm not a fly by night person that just happens to be here. I did earn uh, these credentials, and I represent. I represent uh, not only myself, but a a larger a larger community. And I see the same thing for uh, for for women, and in particular, women in the area of science, uh, where they're underrepresented. Uh, many times, they can people can marginalize those who are are underrepresented in different environments. And so, uh, I'm very keen to look out for those things. Well, so speaking of your credentials, you do study higher education across the board. That's your area of expertise. And you wrote about higher education over the summer, uh, an article entitled 10 Concrete Policy Changes Predominantly White Institutions Can Enact to Show Black Lives Matter. You did that in Diverse Issues in Higher Education. Obviously, there, there was a lot of activism around Black Lives Matter this summer, but why did you pick this specific topic to tackle uh, in lieu of um, George Floyd's death this summer? Yeah, so I actually was in Atlanta at the time. It was during the summer. And what you were seeing was that higher education institutions were being pressured by student activists and faculty and staff uh, of their institutions to address issues that harmed Black faculty, staff, and students. And so what you would hear is, what you would see is kind of broad pronouncements from institutions or letters saying that we care about, we care about our students, faculty, and staff that are Black, and we want to make it a safe environment. However, there weren't concrete policy changes that were being proposed. They were just nice statements. And so what I wanted to do was provide some ideas, some policy and practices that people would be able to implement in such a way that it will improve the environment for Black faculty and students on campus. So obviously there's, with, with 10 different uh, topics that we, that we can go into from this paper that we probably don't have time to do that, but you do have maybe your top three, uh, which can be 
summed up in scholarship space and staff. So I'd love to pick those apart with you. The first one was scholarship. Uh, Can you talk me through what you mean by that? Yes. So scholarship actually aligned with actual scholarships for, for students. One of the things that I've learned since proposing that is there are some nuances with the, with federal and state law around naming scholarships or, or giving scholarships based on race. Essentially, you can't do that. So you have to approach it. So you, you can't have to say this scholarship is for Black students or Native American students or something like that. Exactly. And you and generally you can't say that you're going to give scholarships for a particular gender. Uh, Generally speaking, there are some exceptions to these, but essentially you, you are not able to do that. And so the university is in the midst of looking at implementing policies in such a way that we can support our students of color, but do it in such a way that it does not go against federal or state law. But going back to the essence of why I asked, I, I started with that was because with scholarships is because that's you know one of the number one complaints of students is that they need money to to get into school and to stay into school and to persist to graduation, and so that's why we chose scholarships uh, scholarship as first. So nuts and bolts when it comes down to it, it it is partially a money issue for these students to actually stay, get into and stay in school. Yes. And, and I've seen that with my own eyes when we've had talented black students, particularly those who were a part of our black student union who wanted to stay were, were performing well, but they just did not have the money to persist. And so they have stopped out. So I'm sure that they're going to want to come back at some point, but they just did not have the money to stay. So I, I think it would be great to have uh, additional resources to support, you know, high quality and or quality students that that want to succeed and can perform well at the institution. The second one was space. Are you literally talking about physical space? Yes. So when I'm talking about physical space, I am I am proposing that we that we reestablish a black cultural center space. The University of Idaho actually had a space, a physical space, a room space for black students uh, starting in 1971, March 1971. For those who read the Argonaut, you can. And, will want to go online to verify this. And the Argonaut issue that came out uh, March 17th, 1971, it chronicles and acknowledges that a space was set aside, a Black cultural space was set aside for Black students. That was one year before the Women's Center space was provided. So we even had that before we had the Native, what we now call the Native Center and other cultural spaces for different identity groups on campus. And so what we're proposing is that that space be reestablished on campus. And then as it relates to the idea of staff, uh, which was the third S, 
is that we would have a director of that cultural center space, and that person would support what would support students, faculty, staff, and creating an environment that is welcoming and supportive uh, for all all of those who are a part of the Black community that are here on campus. So I think maybe a question to ask at this point is, we have these different spaces. We do have the women's space. Um, obviously, you'd like to, to create one for Black students. Why is having a physical space for these students, why is that so important? It's extremely important because when you are a part of a group that has been marginalized or you have only a small representation in a broader space, a lot of times you are not free to express yourself in the way in which you would around people that identify the same way you do. For instance, as a Black faculty member, there are there are things that I experience that my white colleagues don't experience. And even if I explain it to them, they'll partially understand, but they may not totally understand, whereas another Black faculty member uh, would Just understand. It. It's so nice not to have to explain all the time. And a space allows for a congregational area where you can do that. And so that's important. And you have a space that celebrates our culture. So like one of the only, the only, one of the only pictures that I see of a black person on campus is the Lionel Hampton picture in the, the school of music. However, when we look in the administration buildings and in other environments, there's nothing that says that you belong because there's, there's no cultural artifacts that reinforce that. Whereas when you provide a space for a particular culture that helps with encouraging you to say, okay, this is, if the broader space is not necessarily one that takes my culture into account, at least there is a physical space on campus that is supportive of me. And then there are staff that are dedicated to support people that look like me. Well, and I would think in the long run, this would also be good for the university because if you you're feel like you belong, I would think that that does translate into higher graduation rates. Definitely. And retention, and retention of faculty and staff. I understand that you know, our main purpose is to prepare and instruct our students and help them to get to graduation. But And, and a part of that, that mix if you don't have administrators and faculty that look like the students that you are trying to attract and retain, then you're going to perpetually have smaller numbers because that's a part of saying that we care about you and we we have people that look like you, that that can identify with you, that you can look up to. And so those things are important. So providing a physical space along with staff that self-identify 
with the with the black community is one way in which it will uh help uh, help with attracting and retaining our black population on campus so throughout this we've kind of touched like you just did on on staff uh, which was the last uh, main thing we wanted to hit on. Uh, is there is there something else that we haven't talked about uh, to fill out the the staff section that we wanted to talk about? Yes. So I, I briefly said administration. I think that uh, it's my under is my understanding. I, I could be wrong, but there's only one administrator administrator that is. Uh, black on campus, on at least on the Moscow campus, and they're a department chair. But we have no other; we don't have any senior level leadership that identifies as black, and so that's important in decision making. When something happens on campus that may impact the black community, and I, I specifically say black because. A lot of times we uh, we have I have white colleagues that like to use the term people of color. Mm -hmm. Well, the broader term people of color that encompasses a lot of different ethnicities and racial backgrounds. And all of us have different relationships, relationships to this country, to this university, and our needs may be different. And so I think uh, it's important to be particular in this case to be able to say that it's important to have administrators that understand the Black community to support all of our students. But uh, in particular, it would be great to have administrators so that all of our students, white, Black, Asian, uh, Hispanic, uh, and others, are able to see Black leaders in in high level in high level positions, and that that is that can be done, and that is um, and it prepares people for a reality outside of of Idaho, uh, it, yeah, outside of Idaho and and the Pacific Northwest. Well, Dr. Freeman, um, thank you so much for calling in today. I realize that this is going to be a topic that will come up again and again and again as uh, we move forward and back and forward and back, it seems. Any last thoughts uh, before before I let you go? No, I just want to say thank you for this opportunity to share my work. A lot of my work now looks at the Black experience on predominantly white campuses, uh, like the University of Idaho. And I think it's important to have some of these messy conversations about about what titles we're going to use or what are the what are the needs of people of color in particular black the black population on on campus so thank you so much for this opportunity and i look forward to interacting with you in the future all right i will talk to you later then have a good rest of your day if you found the intricacies of Sydney's research interesting, I think you'll enjoy learning about a few other U of I projects. A $1 million U.S. Environmental Protection Agency grant will allow U of I researchers Greg Muller, Dan Strawn, and Martin Baker to test their clean water machine from Florida to Oregon. They will test new technologies 
that should remove specific nutrients from lakes and streams to help control harmful algal blooms. University of Idaho researchers and partner institutions have received more than $700,000 from the National Science Foundation to develop a collective strategy for increasing the engagement, involvement, and success of American Indian and Alaska Native students in the science, technology, engineering, and math disciplines and workforce. Psychology's Clarissa Richardson found that extended periods of quarantine result in depression, and fear of the coronavirus has had a negative psychological effect on people. In addition, people who reported high levels of quarantine also reported high levels of depression and, in some cases, PTSD symptoms. All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to The Vandal Theory. If you want to learn more about Sydney's work, I hope you'll visit our website, uidaho.edu slash vandaltheory. There you can also read our show notes and email me with comments. And we'd love it if you would subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. You can help people find The Vandal Theory by leaving a rating and review while you're there. We really hope you're enjoying these stories. I'm Lee Cooper, and thank you for joining us.